Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We have reached the month of August. It's time to put the pads on for fall camp as we are a month out from Purdue's season opener. Purdue begins fall camp on Tuesday. That is August 2nd. If you're listening later, we will continue our preview series here on the show today. Take a look at 10 big questions that Purdue needs to find an answer to during fall camp to put themselves in position to start strong and have a chance to take down Penn State on September 1st. No doubt there is a lot to like about this Purdue group, but there are always questions. We will get into those here momentarily. First, if you don't already, what are you waiting for? Follow the show on Twitter. It's at Boilers Beyond. Come join the conversation there. Come hang out. We are always talking sports. And be sure to subscribe if you don't subscribe already. Available wherever you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. We are going to be here every week through the end of basketball season. And hey, I did want to give a little thank you. This is the 100th episode of Boilers and Beyond today. Just wanted to say thank you to those of you who have listened since the start. Uh, You know, I began this podcast a little over two years ago in the heart of COVID lockdowns with nothing else to do, and we started by talking about Matt Harms and Nogel Eastern entering the transfer portal. I think it's safe to say a lot has changed in Purdue athletics since then. We've had a lot of fun talking about the Boilermakers here on the show Thank you for your support through all of this, and if you do enjoy the show, keep on sharing it. Tell a friend. Uh, That's the best way to help grow the show. Appreciate all of you who interact with me on Twitter, leave reviews, everything you guys do. Much appreciated. Did want to talk a little bit before we get into the questions. Big Ten Media Day was last week. Uh, The media poll was released. Cleveland.com puts it together every year. Purdue comes in fourth in the Big Ten West, right behind Iowa, excuse me, Wisconsin, picked to win the West, then Iowa, then Minnesota. Purdue comes in fourth ahead of Nebraska, Illinois, and Northwestern. Purdue was only nine points behind the Gophers, so there wasn't much of a gap there. Thought this was interesting, though. Purdue, Nebraska, and Illinois were all picked anywhere between second in the conference, excuse me, in the West, and last in the West. And then Iowa had a first place vote and a last place vote. Now, I'd be, you know, you see some of these media day poll where things just don't look right. I know like Vanderbilt had a pick to win the SEC. I think South Carolina did too. Georgia Tech had a pick to win the ACC. Things that don't make sense. So I'm sure some of that is a bit of a joke, but there's not much consensus. Uh, Wisconsin did get 31 of the 36 first place votes, but a lot of mixed opinions on the Big Ten West this year. And I think that's very fair. Over in the East, not the same. Uh, Ohio State unanimously picked to win the conference overall. Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. 
right after Ohio State and then Maryland, Rutgers, and Indiana, the Hoosiers finishing last over in the East. I don't think any of this is too surprising. I think when you look at the West, obviously I know Purdue fans aren't going to be happy with being picked fourth, although I do think it's fair. I think any order of Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue is something I can get behind. And I don't, you know, there's Nebraska love out there. You heard Brett on the show last week. He's as good as anyone, and he's all in on Nebraska. I think you can you can have your opinions there. Time will tell. But every team in this division has questions. It's quarterback for Wisconsin and Iowa, no doubt. It's the trenches for Minnesota. It's the playmakers for Purdue. It's hard to be really confident in any of these teams. So I think any order that anyone picked this is completely defensible. Going to be interesting to see when we look back how accurate this is. It tends to be pretty poor uh, outside of the top because Ohio State and Wisconsin do tend to win it. Overall, though, just some thoughts from Big Ten Media Days. It's getting more boring every year. Uh, Not a lot of actual answers. Not a lot of good discussion about much, especially at the podium sessions. Those were brutal. Kevin Warren was the guy everyone wanted to hear from. We did hear from him for about 45 minutes. He didn't rule out expansion by any means. Uh, Didn't expect him to. But he took a much more aggressive stance towards expansion than Greg Sankey from the SEC did. Finally, Kevin Warren did not indicate that auto bids are going to be a must in an expanded playoff where every conference champion gets in. Thank goodness that's a terrible idea. I'm not a fan of playoff expansion to begin with, but if we're going to have it, at least make it the best teams rather than a 9-3 Pac-12 champion getting in in a diluted Pac-12. No need for that. Uh, There's no reason for the Big Ten or SEC to want auto bids because it takes away potential spots. thought Kevin Warren did a nice job. Uh, He certainly has improved his image since uh, this time two years ago when he was canceling the football season in front of his wall of accomplishments. That was awful. We had plenty to talk about back then. Vividly remember that podcast. Not happy with his poor decision-making, but uh, certainly improved his stock this week, shall we say. As far as Jeff Brom goes, you know, the guy who, for Purdue fans, you want to hear from, we all know Jeff Brom isn't one who makes a whole lot of noise He's not one that says a lot. He's not going to be one to use a ton of hyperbole. Although I did think Mike Carmen from the Journal and Courier got some good information out on Twitter. That was that a number of players aren't going to be 100% to start camp, uh, especially in the defensive backfield. Corey Trice still recovering from that ACL tear from last October. Jamari Brown, T. Denson, uh, the transfer from Kansas State. Those guys won't be 100%, nor will Sanusi Kane, who's still recovering from hip surgery, and Jordan Buchanan, the redshirt freshman, is going to be out for the year with a shoulder deal. So, 
a lot of depth out in the defensive backfield. We will get to that later. Brock Thompson, Abdurrahman Yassin, not 100% either after their surgeries. Lawrence Johnson up front, nursing a shoulder issue. A lot of important names on there at some really important positions. So that part is going to be worth monitoring. That was the best information that you would have got out of Big Ten Media Days. Not much else that came from there. I did like the Iowa beat writer kind of asking Jeff Brom how the Charlie Jones transfer came about. A little bit of a hint at tampering there, which, hey, I don't know what happened, but um, it's fair to say that there are no rules as it goes to the transfer portal now. There are rules, however, about opening up fall camp, and Purdue opens it up this week, a month out from kickoff against Penn State. Let's jump right in with 10 questions that Purdue needs to answer during fall camp. Number one, and this, you probably figured this was coming if you've been listening for the last month or so, because my biggest question about this team Who will emerge as your top option, or I guess if in reality, options plural, who will emerge as your top options at wide receiver? Because Purdue is replacing its top three receivers from last year's team, David Bell, Milton Wright, Jackson Anthrop. I know the natural indication from folks on Twitter and even folks in the media is to point at Brock Thompson because he had that seven-reception, 217-yard performance in the Music City Bowl. That was fantastic. That was nothing short of heroic based off of the injuries he was going through that required him to have surgery on both of his legs after the game was over. But I don't think it's that cut and dry to slide him into a wide receiver one discussion. Before that game against Tennessee, his best performance in the regular season was three receptions for 30 yards in that rain-soaked game against Minnesota. Could that be because he was following up David Bell, Milton Wright, Jackson Anthrop, even Payne Durham in terms of targets? It absolutely could, but there's still a lot left to see with Brock Thompson there. You never know. I'm not ruling him out as a key contributor, but he's not 100% right now. How much the surgeries impact him, that's a lot to go through. Both legs, I don't think it's cut and dry that Brock Thompson is going to be your wide receiver one on a team that has fans convinced that they're going over seven and a half wins. I mean... I don't know that that's a fair expectation to put on Brock Thompson. I like looking at guys like TJ Sheffield, Abdul Rahman Yassin, Mershon Rice. All of them are coming off injuries, uh, which is the unfortunate part, but they all have potential. They were all highly touted recruits when they came into Purdue, but they're all coming off those injuries. Music City Bowl, ankle injury for Sheffield. Foot injury for Mershon Rice up in South Bend last year. Knee injury for Yasin against Minnesota at home in the rain. Yasin's not going to be 100% to start camp either. So how healthy are these guys? 
And can they stay healthy? That's really where you're looking at here. There is potential there, but potential means you haven't really shown it yet. And it's by no fault of their own, especially for Rice and Yasin. Sheffield's had more of a look, but how healthy are they going to be? Can they stay healthy? And can they break through to be a number one receiver type of guy? I also look at the two Iowa transfers just because they've played a lot of football. Tyrone Tracy and Charlie Jones, do they have number one potential? I think that's a lot to expect from them. But at the same time, when you're playing with Spencer Petras, you're playing with Alex Padilla as your two quarterbacks, that doesn't exactly put you in position to succeed or showcase your abilities. I look at these guys as the potential number one receiver types. Can someone else emerge in camp? It's not out of the realm of possibility. Elijah Canyon, the six foot four outside receiver from Auburn, got mentioned by Jeff Brom at Media Days on the podium. I've always believed when a coach mentions a player by name, there's something to that. There's a reason for that. So I would look at Canyon as a guy who may do it. And of course, your tight ends are a big part of the offense this year. Payne Durham, Garrett Miller, even Paul Paferi really came on well at the end of the season as he went through that transition from quarterback to tight end. I think we're going to see some sets with 12 personnel where Purdue has two tight ends on the field uh, with Durham and Miller. I think you're just going to see those guys more to make up for the fact that you don't have a Rondale Moore or you don't have a David Bell or you don't even have a Milton Wright necessarily in terms of what you look at with this year's group because someone is going to have to emerge as a true number one option if Purdue is going to compete in the West. Number two here, this is hopefully, knock on wood, this isn't vitally important, but if Purdue has to go to the backup quarterback, who gets their name called on that sideline? Of course, Aiden O'Connell is your guy. He's the unquestioned starter, returning second team all Big Ten quarterback. But what if he gets hurt? Purdue hasn't had a quarterback start all 12 games since 2016 with David Blau. So who who would it be? You've got three other scholarship quarterbacks on roster. Austin Burton, you know the deal with him. He's in his sixth year. He's athletic, no doubt about that. But can he throw? We really haven't seen it. You have Michael Alamo. He's in his third year in the program, former four-star recruit. His only game action was against UConn in that blowout last year, and I don't think he attempted a pass. He has a big arm. We saw that in the spring game. He's not afraid to use it, but can he control it? That is just as important. And Brady Allen, uh, the guy everyone wanted to talk about, the crowned jewel of Purdue's 2022 recruiting class, the four-star true freshman out of Southern Indiana. Arm talent's all the way there. He has the perfect quarterback prototype. He's tall. He's long. He's got everything you want. Is he ready for the Big Ten, though? It is a big jump from, what was it, 3 or 4A football down in Southern Indiana to the Big Ten. Uh, if he's not ready, 
keep him away from game action at all costs. You don't want to throw him to the fire before he's ready for it. My guess is that it's probably going to be Austin Burton. You know, there seems to be plenty of thought from people who are in the know that there are still going to be packages for Austin Burton uh, to try to run the ball more when Purdue's in the red zone. I'm not a huge fan of that, but, you know, we'll see how it works. I think he's probably the guy, but if Purdue has to enter a situation where they're playing a whole game, I think that may change things because unless Austin Burton can really throw it and it's something we're not seeing, I think you've got to go with someone who can move the ball down the field. I would you think you'd like to see Alamo make a run for the backup spot in his third year with the program. I think the depth chart will probably list Burton or Alamo in the number two spot. That's something Jeff Brom has done quite frequently, but we'll see. Uh, it's going to be a storyline, albeit a minor one, as we enter camp. Number three, you know, kind of going hand in hand as we talk about Austin Burton and trying to get the run game generated in short yardage situations. What kind of personnel, what blend needs to come out of that backfield to get the run game going? You have King DeRue and Kobe Lewis at running back. They're going to be your one and two. Now, my biggest question with this group is what order will that be in? Will it be more of a 50-50 split between the two? Will one of them emerge as more of a bell cow? Both guys have played a good amount of football. Daru, in his fourth year at Purdue now, uh, eclipsed 1,000 yards for his career last year. Uh, 3.7 yards a carry, seven touchdowns for his career. Kobe Lewis, uh, over 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns as a Central Michigan Chippewa. However, he did miss the 2021 season with a knee injury. He's going to be a really interesting guy. I'm excited to see what he can do. It's no secret that Purdue has struggled to run the ball. I think they've been last in the Big Ten for three straight years now. I know they haven't eclipsed 100 yards per game in the past three years. So what does that look like? What does the carry split look like? There's been talk, and Jeff Brom even said this at Big Ten Media Day, that Tyrone Tracy will get snaps at both receiver and running back the way Jackson Anthrop did in the second half of last season. My question is, is this out of necessity or is that out of luxury? In other words, is Tyrone Tracy going into the backfield because the running game isn't going to be all that effective with the other guys? Or is it because you want the ball in Tracy's hands more? I think it's probably somewhere in the middle of those two. But at the same time, you know, Jackson Anthrop was in the backfield last year to try to get that going a little bit. Not as much because Purdue thought they have to get the ball in his hands more often. You're not going to find a bigger Jackson Anthrop fan than me, but you know, if you're force-feeding someone, it was going to be David Bell. Um, and Purdue wasn't putting him back there. So I don't think it's going to be some 10-carry-a-game deal for Tyrone Tracy, but it's going to be interesting to see how he does there. Uh, 
As far as other ball carriers go, Dylan Downing saw 44 carries last year. He's definitely a possibility. We saw him more as a lead blocker, uh, as an H-back type last year after Jack Kravick got hurt. He's a possibility. Uh, He's supposed to be slimming down a little bit, so maybe Dylan Downing will make an appearance. Devin Mockabee is a walk-on from Southern Indiana. He had a nice spring by all accounts, but I would think he's probably lower in the depth chart to start the season, but you never know. Uh, If injuries occur, and we saw this last year, things go crazy quickly. Xander Horvath got hurt. Uh, Dylan Downing was healthy. Jaquez Cross left the team. I mean, things happen to the point where Anthrop was getting snaps at running back. It's always going to be interesting because you don't think about injuries when you walk into the season, but they inevitably happen. It's good that Purdue has... A few guys, at least, that they're confident in giving the ball to. Paving the way for the run game will be our number four question here. How much depth does Purdue have on the offensive line? Last year, Purdue did stay pretty healthy up front, but at the start of the season, Jeff Brom mentioned that they only had six or seven guys that he was comfortable playing. Uh, That was at the start of the year. I don't know how that changed by the end. I think it did change a little bit. How does that stack up to where they are now? By no means am I asking Purdue to do what Iowa and Wisconsin do and put together mammoth offensive lines that pave the way like a bobcat. But, I mean, that's not part of Purdue's culture. Improving this, though, improving the offensive line, to where it's not a massive question mark each year, that is a good goal to have. It's not as much of a question mark as it has been in years past. You have three starters back. Eric Miller is going to move from right tackle to left tackle. Spencer Holstead at left guard. And Gus Hartwig at center. So you have that left side back. The right side is going to get sorted out during fall camp. I think you look at Marcus Bowe, you look at Cam Craig, you look at Mohamed Musa, Sione Finau, the Florida international transfer. He'll probably be a guard. Daniel Johnson, probably a tackle from Kent State. Will those two transfers push for a starting spot, or do they slide in on the second team? Be interesting to see what group of five guys Purdue trots out there under the lights against Penn State. Going to have to pave the way to get some type of a ground game going. In the trenches on the other side, we go for our fifth question. Can you generate pressure with four guys now that George Karlaftis is gone? Purdue didn't have to bring a ton of exotic blitzes last year because they did a nice job rushing the passer just with their four-man front. It helped to have so much attention on Karlaftis That opened it up for Kydron Jenkins over at Leo to get five sacks last year. That was really solid stuff. But can he maintain that without Karloftis on the other side to eat up two, three blocks? I don't know. This will open the door for a number of guys to have a chance to get in the backfield. Scotty Humpich is the transfer from Murray State that they're high on. Jack Sullivan's a known commodity, another year in the program now. He's a tough guy over at defensive end. 
Corday Sidner looked good in the spring game, the East Coast native. Uh, these guys are going to have a real chance to make some noise. Purdue wants to continue playing with that aggressive approach on defense. Even though Brad Lambert's gone and Ron English is taking over the reins as play caller, this is going to be the key to that aggressive defense. Can you get home with four? If you can get home with four, you can bring a fifth from a different look and still have six guys in coverage. You can bring linebackers on blitzes. You can bring safeties on blitzes. You can bring a corner blitz. All of that's a luxury, and you should be forcing the quarterback to get rid of the ball quicker when you're getting home with four. If you're not, that's when those exotic blitzes just absolutely burn you. That or you're asking your secondary to cover for what feels like an eternity and someone's going to open up every time when that happens. So getting home with four is going to be absolutely crucial for this defense and that's one that they absolutely have to have in the season opener. Staying on the defensive side of the ball here for number six, how do you replace Jalen Alexander in the middle? I know we talk quite a bit about what Purdue lost from last year, and David Bell and George Karloftis are your main two answers there. And we talk about the departures of Xander Horvath and Milton Wright and Marvin Grant, but Jalen Alexander is a pretty big loss. He was by far Purdue's leading tackler last year, and that's a significant loss because he was in the middle. He was never out of position. He was really good in the run game. Purdue, for as good as their front was, they did allow guys to get to the second level quite a bit, and that's where Alexander did, did a nice job. You're looking for someone to step up in the middle now. You have Kieran Douglas back. You have Samisi Fakasiakif back for his seventh year. Yes, there is still a Daryl Hazel recruit on the roster. Can those guys step in? How about OC Brothers? He has some speed. He was a good pickup out of the portal from Auburn. Can he kind of crack that top 11 and really make a big impact this year? This is a group that and what, I think we're two weeks out from our defense preview. We'll go into a much deeper dive into, but there's an area on this defense that just at the on the roster looks like it could be a question. It might be this linebacking group. So who's going to step up and take Jalen Alexander's spot as the leader of the linebacking group? Finally, moving into the third level of the defense, it's almost like two questions here because you want to know about the health. That was a major question that Jeff Brom revealed at Big Ten Media Day. But how do the transfers factor in? That's one that I am curious about because Purdue brought three transfers in. Reese Taylor from Indiana, T. Denson from Kansas State, and Bryce Hampton from Adams State, a Division II program. All these guys project to have a role. Otherwise, Purdue probably wouldn't have brought them in. But will these guys start? You have Corey Trice returning. He only played two games last year. But how's he looking? Is he good to go? Jamari Brown, same deal. He stepped into the starting lineup after Trice went out, and he had a really nice year. He did a good job. 
those guys are both question marks going into fall camp because of injuries. I think Reese Taylor is a really intriguing one. He's played a lot of Big Ten football. I mean, he's played a true four years at Indiana, done a little bit of everything. You know, he can return, be an impact in the return guy, both on punts and kickoffs. Does Taylor project more as an outside corner? Does he slide in and play the nickel? What do you kind of want him to do there? Can he start? Denson isn't 100% yet. I've heard good things about him. There are positive reviews. Again, he's kind of the same guy as is Hampton. Are these guys capable of playing the nickel? That could be your best way on the field, especially if Trice and Brown are healthy. Uh, I think both those guys. I mean, you look at Hampton, even though he's a D2 transfer, that's what Chris Jefferson was last year as well. I wasn't sure about him, but he had a nice year. Uh, he became really solid at that nickel position. Now he's going to slide back to safety and replace Marvin Grant there. So that opens up some room at the corner position. How these guys factor in, I think it's going to be really interesting to see because you do have Corey Trice and Jamari Brown that you feel good about if they're healthy is the key. Number eight. It is special teams. What is Mitchell Finneran's realistic range on field goals? Last year, his first attempt of the year was from 48 yards out, and he drilled it against Oregon State. That was his longest attempt. That was his longest make. Can he go 50-plus? What is that yard line where Purdue has to go for it on fourth down? or settle for a punt if it's an awful position because you don't think Finneran can get it there. What is that? I mean, it was 48 pushing it last year. Is 50-plus realistic? Is it, you know, the 30-yard lines, that cutoff point? I don't know, but that's going to be something to monitor because as a whole, he was solid last year. He benefits from the fact that he drilled his last kick of the season, the walk-off winner against Tennessee. The midseason slump, though, he had a bad miss against Minnesota. He had a miss versus Iowa that was really bad, missed extra point against Wisconsin. He was money after that, but Purdue did not push his range one bit. It was all short stuff. What is the maximum you're willing to go with him? It impacts play calling, it impacts clock management, it impacts everything. This is a good question to know, not just this year, but every year, especially if it's not a year where you have, if you want to go way back, a Carson Wiggs type who drilled one from, I think it was 59 yards out when he was at Purdue. If you don't have that, you really need to know how far you're willing to kick from. Staying with the special teams for number nine, will the punting game be the Big Ten's worst again? Jack Ansel needs to take a big step forward this year. He was the true freshman last year, albeit in his mid-20s, the Australian import. Up and down is probably the nicest way to put it. I think it was a little underwhelming. Uh you know, you see the guys with the Australian style that really do well with it, especially in the Big Ten. Blake Hayes 
and Illinois is the prime example of that. In Columbus last year, I just remember that game getting out of hand so quick. And when you look back, Ansel's first punt of the game went 16 yards that led Ohio State right into a scoring drive. And then he had a 33-yard punt that wasn't much better. That can't happen in year two. You can't just gift opponents plus field position. It just can't happen. Uh, At the end of the day, the small things are going to matter a lot because Purdue's going to play in a lot of close games. It doesn't matter how pessimistic or how optimistic you are about this year's group. They are going to play in a lot of close games. You have a really competitive division. You have two crossover games that project to be really competitive with Penn State and Maryland. The Indiana game is always competitive as well. You have a road non-conference game against a Power 5 program. Going to be competitive games. The little things really matter, and special teams is always a little thing that matters. And finally, Jeff Brom gift-wrapped me the 10th question for this. How healthy is Purdue going to be for that season opener? That report was absolutely concerning. It's going to be worth monitoring with what you hear out of camp. How healthy is this group? Are guys back on the practice field? Are they in full pads? Are they in limited contact? That's going to be really important. And that's just with the guys who we know are a little bit banged up now. How about the guys who will get banged up during camp? It happens every year. Look back to a year ago when Samisi Fakasieki went down in camp. That was a big deal that Purdue, you know, really didn't end up getting hurt by too badly because everyone else stayed healthy, but you don't want it to snowball, uh, especially before you even take the field for your first game. Purdue's going to need everyone it can get for that Penn State game. They're going to need to stay as healthy as possible. It's almost out of your control. There's not a whole lot you can do. You can't throw them all in bubble wrap but Purdue would sure like to, if they can, to get to that game as healthy as possible and put them in a position to make this year special. I heard from some of you all on Twitter. These are some of the questions, too. Uh, You know, I always enjoy when you guys tweet at me. These are absolutely some questions. I know, you know, guys mention the run game, mention the receivers, mention Payne Durham. You know, how big can he be? I think very big. We're going to get into so much more as we continue the countdown to kickoff here on the show. Super excited. This is going to be an awesome month. A lot of good stuff to get you ready for this season. It's August now. There is Big Ten football to be played this month. I don't know if you realize that. Week zero, Nebraska Northwestern taking their talents over to Dublin to show the Irish how real football is played. That'll be interesting. Wyoming against Illinois. That's going to be fascinating too. Brett Bielema year two. They replace a good amount. How will they be? How does Tommy DeVito look as a new transfer quarterback? And then we are one month away. I am recording this on August 1st. Exactly one month away from September 1st when Purdue opens up against Penn State. It is 7.32 p.m. At this time in one month, we'll be inside Ross-Aid Stadium. 
We'll be getting ready for the band's pregame on the field. It's going to be a great night. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. I saw where Purdue has sold over 35,000 season tickets for this season. That type of momentum is massive. You cannot overstate how important that is, but you also can't overstate how important it will be for Purdue to continue that momentum and build on it, put together another positive season and stack positive results to really continue to build this program into a top half of the Big Ten West program. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for spending some time with me on our 100th episode. Next week on the show, we will be right back here to take a look at Purdue's schedule and talk a little bit about all 12 opponents and look at how Purdue can stack up as they seek to reach another level in 2022. If you don't already, follow the show on Twitter. That's at Boilers Beyond. Come join the conversation there. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss any of our preview episodes to get you ready for the season. Until next week, take care, everybody.